Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 227 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing season three of Black Mirror, which is available now on Netflix. And we previously discussed seasons one and two back in episode 153, so definitely go check that out if you missed it. And today's show will potentially involve spoilers for every episode of Black Mirror, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Raphael Jordan, who you may remember from our Star Trek Wishlist panel back in episode 178, and our panel on Killjoys and Dark Matter back in episode 167. He's written 23 feature films that have premiered on video and cable television, including The Lost Colony, Legend of Roanoke, The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake, Star Runners, and Vampire Nation. One of his films, Yeti, was the Sci-Fi Channel's highest rated original program of 2008. So, Raphael, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, man. Then next up, we've got Anthony Ha, who you may remember from our panel on Star Trek Beyond back in episode 214. He covers media, advertising, and pop culture for the news site TechCrunch, and a chapbook of his short stories called Love Songs for Monsters was published by Youth in Decline in 2014. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thanks, I'm glad to be back. And also joining us today is Natalie Zuter. She's a staff writer for Tor.com, where she tackles everything from rape culture in Jessica Jones to the best Hamilton mashups. She's also a playwright and aspiring TV writer, and is one of the Amtrak writers in residence for 2017, which will involve spending two weeks traversing the U.S. by train while developing a project. So Natalie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, and so uh, over email, we've been discussing how Raphael had a crazy black mirror watching party yesterday. So let's start off with you, Raphael, and tell us uh, just how did your crazy Black Mirror watching party go? Actually, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, basically, uh, there was a, definitely a general consensus. Um, the first and fourth episodes were clearly the favorites. But, you know, when it comes to Black Mirror, it's all a sliding scale of excellent to very good. You know, I thought they were all great. But I think the two classics were definitely number one and number four. Okay, well, so give us, paint us a picture here with the ambiance and stuff like that. What was your party like? Sure. So basically, I had about a dozen friends come over, and it was a a combined Walking Dead, Westworld, Black Mirror party, to be fair. But we did knock out all six Black Mirror episodes first. And uh, yeah, I I made sure to only invite my friends that were actually legit fans of the show. Um, So basically, you know, everyone there was pretty uh, receptive to the new stories. And, you know, Black Mirror already set a pretty high bar. Um, But I think this season definitely added a couple of new classics to the catalog. All right, cool. So how about Natalie? You've been reviewing the show for Tor.com. Tell us a little bit about what sort of writing you've been doing. Yeah, we've been writing kind of straight episode reviews. Um, I started, I came to Black Mirror late, but I started when the Christmas special came out a year or so ago, White Christmas. And so I wrote kind of a massive review of that. And then I've been the resident Black Mirror person. Um, Every bit of news that's come out about the show, uh, trailers and episode synopses, I've been picking apart for the last few weeks. So how did you become the resident Black Mirror person? Are you the biggest fan there or how'd that happen? Yeah, I just kind of called dibs. There was a period where myself and another staff writer uh, were both uh, in that camp of, oh, I think I should sit down and watch it at some point. And then I just finally took the plunge. I think, like I said, when the Christmas special came out. And so since then, I've just been calling dibs on it. (laughs) Uh, Okay. And so how about Anthony? Tell us a little bit about your background with Black Mirror. Um, I actually saw... 
uh, I think my first uh, episode of it, which was the 15 million merits episode, like many, many years back, because um, like a friend sort of insisted that I see it and that it was going to be, you know, that it was going to sort of change everything. And I watched it and liked it a lot. But at the time, it wasn't, you know, available legally in the US. And I was too lazy to or, or too scared or what have you to, to track it down. Um, so more recently, you know, as more and more people have talked about it, I, I did catch up with, you know, the first season and then more recently, the second season. So I would say that I'm a fan, but also I've come to it after so many sort of these like really incredible expectations and hype that um, I wouldn't say that I love the show. I would say that I admire it, but also when it sort of falls flat, as I think it sometimes does, it can also make me a little bit crazy. You know, it's funny. I have a lot of friends as I was asking around for people who wanted to come watch. Um, a lot of people said, you know, it's so dark, cynical and depressing and it wasn't really their thing. But to me, I think it's just so socially relevant and it's so scathing the co a commentary on where society's going that to me, it's like the, the best show on TV. Basically, I couldn't wait for more. Yeah, I agree with the, Yeah, I, I've said on, on our last episode about it that this is my favorite show on TV, although I agree, Anthony, some of the episodes do fall flat for me. But so, so Raphael, do you think that Anthony would be allowed into your party? Given uh, what you just said, <laughs> for sure, especially with an open mind. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, some people. I, it's strange to me. Like sometimes you watch a movie or a TV show and it's depressing, and some people don't respond well to that. But I actually like shows with dark themes that really make you think and linger with you after. You know, like the entire history of you was probably my favorite episode, um, and I just thought it was really haunting the whole thing because it seems inevitably where we're heading, and how would you avoid that eventuality? Yeah, I also really like dark stories, and I really like these anthology shows because they can go really dark at the end. They can kill off all the characters, and it doesn't matter because they're not going to come back next time anyway, right? Um, I don't know, Natalie, are you, would you say you're a fan of dark stuff like this in general? Oh, definitely. Um, I Like you are saying, I think I would much rather have you know friends over to watch something that really makes you think or something where you're all experiencing uh, an emotion beyond just laughing at it. Like, I, I've always been a fan of dark stuff. I mean, my favorite episodes of television are the ones that end on, on bummer notes or cliffhangers or, um, yeah, that just really stick with you. Even the ones that you feel like you can't watch over and over, that, you know, it's one time is enough. Like, I'd say, yeah, my best bonding experiences with people, like, were over dark stuff. Like, I binged the end of uh, Breaking Bad a year or two ago uh, with my fiancé and was just, I was, you know, sobbing in a ball, but it was also, like, Wow, what a great experience. It's sort of the equivalent of like when you go to a horror movie and you feel very cathartic afterwards. Absolutely. And, and here's the interesting thing. Uh, Black Mirror fans embrace the show's darkness and themes. But San Junipero, I've seen as the consensus favorite episode of this new batch, I think. And it's actually, you know, the most heartwarming episode. It's probably the closest thing to a feel-good Black Mirror episode we'll ever get. Oh, definitely. Okay, so wait, before we get to that, I want to talk about how, uh, so so like I said, this is my favorite show, and so I was really looking forward to it coming out on Friday. So I wake up Friday morning, I'm all psyched to watch the show, and Netflix isn't working. <laughs> and it wasn't working all day long. So I was kind of going crazy. And uh, if you're listening to this in the future, there was this giant DDoS attack that shut down a bunch of big sites, including Netflix, all day long. And it was actually kind of funny because on the Black Mirror Twitter account, they said, uh, Twitter is no longer available to users below a five-star rating. We apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. Did anyone else run into any problems? Did you guys, anyone else try to watch this on Friday and run into any problems? Actually, that was me behind the attack. I couldn't watch <laughs> till Sunday, so I wanted to make sure no one else could either. I didn't watch till Friday evening anyway. Um, I, I thought about trying to use 
the excuse to miss work or just be streaming it at the office. But I waited till the evening and, and thankfully it was back up by then. Yeah, I binged all of them on, on Saturday and um, everything worked smooth. I think there were a few moments where Netflix seemed to be having a little bit of a hard time, which I think it sometimes does when there's when things are just really popular, but um, everything mostly went smoothly. Yeah. Okay. And so like if uh, so that that five star ra- rating thing, that's a reference to the first episode of this new season, which is called Nosedive, which is a about a sort of satirical future world in which everyone has a social media score that everyone else can see at all times, thanks to special contact lenses. And everything in your life, a lot of your opportunities, like job opportunities and hotels and car rentals and all sorts of things are determined by your social media score. Um, so how about, uh, how about Natalie? What did you think of this first, this first nosedive episode? Well, so nosedive was one of the ones I was most looking forward to. Cause, um, like I said, in every news item about synopses and previews and stuff, it was one of the ones they were pushing, I think partly because, um, Charlie Brooker had, uh, I don't think he even co-wrote it. It was written by uh, Rashida Jones and, and Michael Schur who did Parks and Rec and now uh, the good place. And they were working off an outline Charlie Brooker gave them. And so I think people, I think Netflix was pushing it because of the whole, to sort of show the America UK partnership that was happening. And, and I, you know, love shows like that. So, and I love social commentary. So I thought it was going to be like a perfect me kind of episode. I was not a huge fan. I, it, it kind of let me down as it went on. Like I loved the premise but I don't know if I love the story, especially because I found that um, I had trouble sympathizing with Lacey, Bryce Dallas Howard's character. And I'm curious what you guys thought, because she was, uh, you know, for the viewers to refresh memories, uh, it's she's someone who goes around kind of indiscriminately five starring everyone because she's a social climber. And she believes that, you know, if she five stars people, she'll get five starred back. And in my opinion, she came off as, you know, way too eager and way too fake which made for a fascinating character. But I, I think as my first episode in, it was just, it was tough. What did you guys think? I actually, um, I actually really liked it and thought it was relevant to me. I, as someone that's trying to get ahead in Hollywood as a filmmaker, I feel like it really encapsulated to some degree what I do. I mean, I'm constantly promoting other people's work and essentially five-starring them publicly um, because it's kind of what you do. You want people to speak well of you and your projects. I'm always speaking well of other people's projects, even when they're clearly not that great. It's just, (laughs) (laughs) it's truthfully what you do. Um, So, because people always say, oh, on Facebook, you seem to like everything. Well, it's kind of like the public front you kind of need to put up. Um, But I actually thought it was a really interesting episode because it kept you guessing. I kept thinking I knew where the story was heading and it kept doing something different. So I, I thought it was definitely pretty interesting and you know it's instagram 24 7 basically i could see it happening wait so are you going to be giving every episode five stars <laughs> <laughs> no because i don't know charlie brooker personally unfortunately <laughs> and he'd probably see through that anyway <laughs> so uh, how about anthony what how did how much did you like this episode um well it was interesting because, I mean, in terms of that, um, you know, those expectations and like sort of the buildup that Natalie was talking about, I felt like this episode was also being talked about as sort of like the funny one because of, you know, the backgrounds of, of the writers and everything. Um, and I found this to be like completely excruciating, like where it was just, I was like constantly on edge and stressed out. And I was watching with other people and we kept like looking at each other being like, when is this episode going to be over? I'm so stressed out right now. Um, but I think like it was interesting because while I watched it, I did not enjoy it at all, but I really liked the ending 
And I also like, I think afterwards felt a certain, again, that sort of like admiration, not necessarily loving it, but like the fact that they were able to do something that felt so spot on and so full of like social anxiety. um, I I think like that was exactly what they were going for, even if it wasn't necessarily super enjoyable to watch. That's actually a great point, Anthony, because my friends and I, uh, we had an extreme sense of dread watching it. It really was kind of like watching a horror film play out because you're enjoying the uncomfortable nature of it. And I, the whole time I kept saying, I'm, I really don't want to see this speech. It's going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, same. I was cringing my way through it and just being like, no, just stop while you're ahead. Take a hint. Read the room. Don't do it. Yeah, I was watching through my fingers. I was like, I had to cover my, I mean, which I have to do for anything when there's any kind of embarrassment on TV. And this was like my hell. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, it it was amazing for me. Yeah, I I just had like a sick feeling in my stomach the whole episode. And it it sort of reminded me of high school. It was like weird because I haven't been in an environment in which being worried about your popularity matters that much since high school. And it was like really amazing how much this dredged up those feelings, just the physical stress like you're saying yeah of being concerned about what other people are saying about you or thinking about you one of the other things i really admired about the episode was i felt like there were a lot of subtle touches about how the system worked that made it feel more realistic to me like the fact that um when they talk about the different benefits you have it's usually not this sort of like immediately overt system but it's more like oh yeah there's like this you know little vip program and if you have this you know then you get you can you, you see it you like you can imagine sort of going from where we are now to then connecting to, oh, okay, like this is like the influencer program, but just taken to the next level. Um, so I feel like they kind of also balance that line where you can actually, where it's a little ridiculous, but you can also imagine that we would, um, that we could actually get there. Totally agree. Um, with the, I forget the name of it, but the, the condominium she's looking at, like when she's looking to move that, was really interesting world building, like you said, because there's the influencer program and there's this sense of like, well, it's a community and we want to kind of pick and choose who lives here. For me, it was when she's at the airport and, you know, her flight gets canceled and the next flight is just out of her reach. And it's like, it's a flight. It's a couple hours of your life. But even that has been so stratified by, you know, this class as marked by stars. Yeah. And I mean, there's even apps already for Facebook and other social media sites that measure your sphere of influence and you get rewarded based on how many followers you have. You know, so it's definitely another way where I think they're just looking to the how it's going to play out sooner or later to some degree. Yeah, I I agree that the the world is like this sort of crazy satirical world. But I really see this technology in some form or another as inevitable. I mean, it's just like your Uber thing, right? Just for everything. Um (laughs) It's funny you say that because I actually thought about that. Yeah, how when you're a Lyft or Uber driver, you have to stay above 4.9 or you get deactivated <laughs> or something. But, um, you know, there was a lot to like in the episode. I also just thought, you know, the production design of it, all the pastel colors, because it was kind of like everyone was trying to just be as pleasant and as uh, innocuous as possible all the time. And it kind of bled into every facet of life, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree totally. The visuals, I, I thought it, visually it was just amazing to look at. Yeah, we should maybe mention that it was directed by Joe Wright, the uh, the film director. And, and I mean, I think it didn't necessarily look like his other movies, but like the fact that, you know, you had somebody with that background, I think it definitely showed. Yeah. I'm going to mention one other criticism I had is that I felt like there were two characters, um, the brother character and the truck driver lady character, who I felt like just told the audience how we should be feeling about these things just flat out. 
And I really think that the episode would have been more effective to me if it had been, a, if there had been a little bit more of the advantages and disadvantages of living in, the, in this sort of society. And it trusted us to make our own, make up our own mind about how we feel about it a little bit more. I mean, maybe, maybe not at the end, but early, early, I, I felt like the whole thing was telegraphed that this is a terrible society. And uh, I, I think it would have been more interesting if it was a little bit more ambiguous. It's an interesting point, but you're also assuming that most people would side with the truck driver or the brother. And I'm not so sure. I mean, if you put any of us into that society and said, well, choose, I think I would still pretty much do what she was trying to do because it's, <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, I am essentially, so I'm guilty, you know? Well, I think it's one of those situations where if, if the majority are doing it, if you start getting swept up into that structure as a self-preservation, you have to go along with it. Like, there are people who can live off the grid, so to speak, like the truck driver, but even hers came after she became obsessed with the status and, and lost her husband. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not proud to say I probably would also be the person who uh, would start trying to rack up those stars, even just to sort of live at the level um, that Lacey's brother is living, which I think was like a 3-7 or something. Uh, I think that once you start assigning that uh, stigma around anything, you know, below a 2.5, you're just going to have people naturally kind of swimming with the current. Yeah, I thought the truck driver character is interesting because I think she also illustrates this idea that you can survive below a certain level. It's just very difficult. But I agree with David that, I mean, especially the truck driver scene, it was definitely felt like, okay, let me tell you what the message of this episode is, which, I mean, I think that in general, like, I feel like that's something I struggle with with Black Mirror, where I feel like it's constantly kind of being like, all right, here's what this show is about. But like, that was, I thought, particularly blatant. Well, to play devil's advocate, guys, I actually thought um, her comeback was really um, salient and was correct. I mean, she, basically, she countered the truck driver's diatribe by saying, look, it's really easy to look back and be judgmental once you've had it and lost it, but I'm still trying to have it. I mean, so I think to me, that's actually the most relevant point is until you have had it, you're going to want it, you know? Right. But then but then the fact that she struggles so hard to get it is what brings her down. I mean, I feel like that's what that that's where they kind of play their they show their hand and that like it, that the struggle is sort of implied to not have been worth it. Yeah, I mean, perhaps I guess I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> but but <laughs> no, I mean, Rafael, I think there's a lot there. But Raphael, I mean, are you I feel like like uh, there's no doubt in my mind how Charlie Brooker feels about this world. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Not what would you do in that world? But how how does he feel about this? Well, I mean, I wonder, like, in general, don't you think, do you ever question, like, the author and their intentions? Because, for instance, when you're writing science fiction, you have to portray everything as a cautionary tale, even if you don't actually feel that way. So it's a little bit of a death of the author kind of thing. I don't know. If, I mean, I guess he probably does feel this way. But sometimes, you know, I think that's a mistake we make, thinking that, like, you watch a movie like Gattaca, uh, the author isn't necessarily saying we shouldn't do that. Because the society was better for the majority of people. From a utilitarian perspective, it was better. Okay, how about Natalie? Final word on uh, Nosedive. Um, you know, you guys got me, what's the opposite of a nosedive? Kind of moving my opinion up a little bit more um, in talking about the more of the nuance in between, you know, the reasons that people do it and um, and being kind of like stuck in the system and trying, like, like Lacey says, you know, she's still trying to find her way up. So 
You know, I'd say, yeah, coming out of this conversation, I have a slightly higher opinion of it. Maybe I'd move it up from like three to four stars. <laughs> okay, that's good. So it's going to have many more opportunities now, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's certainly on the nose a little, the episode, well, obviously nosedive. But um, <laughs> we do spend, if you allow yourself to fall into it, you could spend half your day every day on Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, it's really, it sucks you in. So you have to, I guess, combat it while you're also being part of it. Yeah. Okay, so we have five more episodes, so I think we need to move on. But so the next episode on this roster was called Playtest, and it's about a American tourist in the in England, and he uh, needs money to get home, and so he gets a job as a playtester for a new virtual reality horror game. Um, so about Raphael, what did you think of this episode? Um, you know, I had high hopes for this one, actually, because I'm a big fan of the director, Dan Trachtenberg. Um, his Portal short film a few years back was really superlative, and that led to him doing 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, so I definitely was looking forward to it. I think it plays really well, but ultimately it was one of the lesser episodes to me, just because it didn't have a lot to say, um, social commentary-wise. It, it played like a really good thriller or horror film, but it wasn't as black mirror-y as I had hoped, I guess. Mm. So, Anthony, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, especially, I think, watching them in succession, it just felt, doing this thing, this, like, thing that felt more this sort of, like, you know, horror-y kind of romp um, was just, like, a nice release after um, Nosedive. But, I, I mean, I think, like, yeah, it felt a little light. And then I also just thought the ending, um, where it was sort of, you know, revealed that he was killed because his phone was still on, just felt, like, very arbitrary and like there was not really a lot of point to it, but they just kind of had to end the episode. So I that really diminished my um, my feelings about it. Yeah, I agree with that. The end, especially given how much effort they had gone to to establish this character, which I thought they did a real. It's interesting because the first twenty minutes or so of this episode, there's no, um, you know, no technology or science fiction. Particularly, it's just kind of you're establishing these characters, and, and given how well established I, I felt he was, that to have him die like so, yeah, in such a random way um yeah it did feel like something of a letdown to me um i don't know natalie what do you think about that yeah no i uh weirdly enough uh playtest was actually the first episode i saw because um i got to catch it at new york comic con like two weeks early and yeah it threw me off because it felt like a solid thriller like a very meta self-aware horror movie it actually re reminded me a lot of this movie I saw at a Tribeca Film Festival called Fear, Inc., which I think just came out. An indie, very similar premise of a guy who kind of create, has this curated horror experience and is constantly questioning what's real and what's not. So as a horror installment, it was really interesting, but it, it did not feel like a Black Mirror episode to me much at all. What did you think of the main character? Um, I thought it, I thought it was, it was fun. It was goofy. I mean, again, I, I feel like in a lot of my commentary on, on Black Mirror, I'm trying to find that analog to America, which may or may not be there. I might be seeing something that's not, but you know, so many of the other, um, episodes had, were just set in the UK and like the Christmas special was the first time, I think one of the first times they brought in an American in the form of John Hamm. So looking at this character, um, I think Cooper was his name. He was so goofy and so kind of privileged. I mean, he was this, this white guy who just kind of left home and decided to go travel the world. And, and we knew that he was probably working odd jobs to uh, to get by. But, he, you know, he had a debit card and an ATM. And the fact that he could sort of just drop everything and drop a mother who clearly needed him and ignore her calls. While I sympathize, you know, on the one hand of 
having difficulty talking to a parent after such a loss. At the same time, I just found him so, I guess, grating. And so even as he was walking his way through the, the haunted house and, and reasoning out the horror in the same way that I do when I watch a scary movie, like I will talk myself through it and say, well, this jump scare already happened a scene ago, so it can't happen again. And it's all fake. As much as I sympathize with all of that, overall, I just found him very grating. Also, to answer your question, David, I, I read in an interview with Dan Trachtenberg that when they cast Wyatt Russell as Cooper, um, it actually led to the rudeness of the character being toned down a lot. So the audience would hopefully root for him to learn a lesson, but it didn't work necessarily, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I liked him. I mean, I, I felt like I know this guy, you know, I mean, I, I think for the for the kind of like Twilight Zone story that this is, I thought he worked because he's so not the typical you know, the, the, I feel like the characters tend to be a lot more bland in these sorts of stories. And I felt like he had a lot more personality and a lot more, I don't know, a lot more individuality than, than I would have necessarily expected. Yeah, no, yeah he's I agree definitely with that. a cool character. Uh, sorry, Anthony, what'd you say? Oh, I was going to say, no, I, I just that I agree. And I mean, I found him to be an interesting. I mean, I also found him to definitely be grating, especially during the initial setup of the playtest sequence where, you know, every single thing he has to make a joke about. And you're just like, oh, my God. But you, I was also like, oh, I know this guy. Like, this is definitely I can, you know, see this. So, I mean, I, I really did like the character work. And like you said, I think that was part of why I was so annoyed with the ending. <laughs> well, speaking of that ending, apparently it was a... 11th hour edition um that same article i was reading said that the extra twist was not in the original script but something brooker added after conversations with trachtenberg just to get get it um get out of there with a little bit extra punch i guess so was the original ending supposed to be the second reveal when he comes home and his mother has has alzheimer's i'm not certain i thought maybe it just meant he would wake up in the office and realize it had all been in his head after all and Ah. scot-free but i'm not sure (laughs) And I mean, I get that. I think it's probably hard. It's a hard episode to end because, I mean, that ending is just sort of would also be kind of deflating where you're just like, all right, well, nice work. See you later. Um, but, but I'm not sure I love that the alternative they came up with. Yeah, I feel like this is a, you know, a, a Philip K. Dick, Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch type story where once you've entered some sort of altered rea- reality, how do you ever know if you've got come out of it again? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of these a lot of these Black Mirror episodes, they have a moral you know, like there's like a moral to the story and it's in some sort of moral universe where people are punished in some reasonable proportion to their sins. And this was an episode where, you know, trying to steal a picture of the video game equipment, it felt like, you know, to to balance those moral scales, he should have been punished somehow, but had to have him die like that felt like it was, you know, it was off the scale. You know, it, it felt like, you know, he should have got, gotten scared really badly or something, but not killed is how it felt to me. You're right. I mean, his punishment should have been being trapped in the game endlessly or something on a loop until he could, you know, never find his way out or something. That was too harsh. <laughs> uh, okay, any other final thoughts about playtest? I did really like the uh, the, the spider with, him, <laughs> with the guy's face. I thought that was like a really great effect. And But also the fact that he, like, as part of that escalation where at the beginning you see all these, like, scary kind of jump scare things, but because you know they can't hurt him like so i just loved how that played out where like weird crap would happen but like like oh yeah you know whatever it's fine see my favorite was um in terms of the scares was when uh, sonia the girl finds him and it's that moment where you know your your savior mysteriously arrives and he's like but how did you know how to find me i'm out in the woods i'm the second 
you know, location. And then she just does that great, like, heel face turn where she just picks up a knife and is suddenly, like, she's the killer in his, you know, reality because clearly his subconscious is saying, like, this girl's too good to be true or or whatever. And and the way she starts stalking him saying, like, you should have called your mother, Cooper. I thought was, <laughs> that was a moment that I thought was really just, like, fun and taps into those uh, horror tropes without feeling cliched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree that I I liked the the way that he's self-aware about the horror tropes and is able to predict them. And um and I also I, I liked that it was drawing, you know, the the premise is sort of that it's going into his memories and pulling out the things that are gonna scare him the most. And I feel like it never I feel like there's more it, sh- it could have done with that notion that it never quite did. I don't know if anyone agrees with that or not. Um, I thought I did a lot with the horror and with the different kinds of horror, there's actually, um, as I was watching these, I was, I was reading along on, on Reddit and seeing what people were saying. And someone made a really good point that if you actually start sitting down and thinking about all these nested narratives as like, you know, the little Matryoshka dolls of what he's thinking, that's so much of it that you don't think about being in his head is like the fact that he never actually meets, um, uh, show Saito, but he has like an image of him in his head from like the articles he's read. And then when you do see the real show in the end, it like kind of matches up, but kind of doesn't with the personality he, he created. And so I, I thought that, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, you probably could have spent more time in, in the, in the haunted house itself with him. But I also find myself spending more time thinking about the episode and about those nested layers of like how much was real and how much wasn't. Hmm, that's interesting. All right, so let's move on to uh, episode number three. It's called Shut Up and Dance. So this is about a young, a, like a teenage guy, I think, uh, is jerking off in front of his computer and realizes that it sent messages indicating that hackers have filmed him and they're threatening to release this video unless he serves as their gopher on some sort of nefarious mission. Um, so, Anthony, what do you think of this episode? Um, I mean, this was another one where I felt like I just sort of enjoyed it almost as this sort of like romp, which I think, again, the people who watched it with me were kind of disagreed because I think they had a lot more stress about it than I did. But just as like something where you just enjoy seeing the mechanics of everything kind of play out, um, I just, you know, it was just sort of one of the most kind of purely entertaining episodes. Um, But again, I think as with Playtest, I felt like as it sort of approached the ending, it just kind of, you know, didn't. I, I just don't think it really like had anything interesting to say in the ending. So just having them sort of release everything in this, you know, very kind of, um, you know, bleak and, and depressing kind of way. Um, I'm not sure it really fit with the episode. And, and again, with some of, you know, like, because you, I was really rooting for this guy in this situation. Um, you, you know, I, I was just like, yeah, I, I wasn't crazy about where, it, where it ended up. I mean, I thought it was a quintessential middle-of-the-road Black Mirror episode, which is actually, to say, you know, quite good. <laughs> but it, it was a fun movie. I kept thinking, or fun, it, it kept reminding me of uh, Die Hard 3, you know, how they had to keep going to the next next place, the next instruction, you know. And But it also kind of reminded me of White Bear in the end, when you realize, because the whole time you're wondering, why is this kid jumping through so many hoops? All he was doing was jerking off, right? But mm-hmm. it was actually worse than that. And so the payoff, I thought, was actually pretty satisfying because it kind of tied the whole thing together. Although I actually thought it was more interesting when it was this idea of, well, you did this thing that really isn't that bad. But if we release this, it would still ruin your life in a lot of ways. Um, and that to me made the anxiety, the anxiety he was feeling both feel realistic, but also more relatable. 
Um, so I, that was, I mean, maybe another reason why I didn't love the sort of twist at the end. Well, I think his anxiety is, at least up until the reveal, is is very much on par with um, the cringiness of, of nosedive, where you're thinking like, oh God, like I would never want to be in, in that experience. Because yeah, it would, especially for a teenager, and he's clearly not, he's not like, you know, the most popular kid in his class or anything. He just has a pleasant enough nightlife, works at the fast food place. But, you know, that's the kind of thing that would just cripple him socially. Um, but I, I don't know. I really like the episode. Um Partly because of the twist, partly just because I thought it was this fascinating commentary on, you know, all these, mostly men, but there was the the female CEO who, you know, had had done these repugnant things and, um, and then we're all being forced to sort of like become errand boys. And then in the case of, of Hector, the the, the the married man with the affair and Kenny it was like this weird quasi male bonding thing where they're like driving together and, and Hector's being like oh it's okay like everyone jerks off come on like you're just a normal kid and and almost like kind of fatherly to him so I found it almost like slyly satirical in that sense which which elevated above mid-level for me and and White Bear is one of my favorite episodes so I, I did like the reversal it definitely you know threw me for a loop and, and made me question a lot of it and it was the kind of episode where I just sat there after the credits like taking it in we, we, we definitely had to take a break and like turn off the tv get up walk around watch something else <laughs> oh man you know uh, speaking of the Hector character I really enjoyed that he was played by Jerome Flynn you know Braun from mm-hmm. Game of Thrones that guy's always great but he, I, I'd read that he said that the story actually went through a lot of different versions where there was an iteration without a final twist and where even he and uh, the kids' characters were reversed as to who had the darker secret. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I think, that. I think the story works either way because, yeah, if, if you're – the thing is, at some point, your fear of being outed as, you know, you wouldn't want people to see you jerking off if you're in high school, sure, but you also wouldn't necessarily rob a bank unless you had something really bad to hide. So at some point, they had to up the stakes, I think. Right. So let's just say, say the, the, the twist is that it, it comes out at the end that he's been jerking off, not to sort of normal adult porn, as we had assumed, but to child pornography. And so that obviously changes completely how you view this character. Um, but why don't you say, Raphael, talk about White Bear, maybe for people who haven't seen it, don't remember it. Why did you see, talk about how you see the parallels between those two episodes? Sure. Well, White Bear was a pretty good episode. I mean, you're basically, you're following the woman who wakes up in the room. It's very Kafka-esque because she can't remember anything and she's wandering around the town and it's all very creepy. And, you know, she's on the run from these hunters. But then, of course, everyone's filming her and it's all very sadistic because they're not coming to her aid. But then by the end, you realize why. And it's because, you know, she was a murderer. Um, she'd killed a child, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, and. And so basically she was forced to relive the same day over and over without any memory of, you know, what she had done or how she got there. And basically that was her punishment. So in a, in a sense, it was kind of just similar thematically in that we were rooting for a character all along who was not actually redeemable, I guess. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, it, I think it's it, I, I agree. That's really interesting is that it takes these characters who've done these horrible things, but you start out the story from their point of view and you don't know about the horrible things they've done until you establish this baseline of um, empathy with them. And then it really like is a mind fuck at the end then when you are, you know, whenever all your sympathy for them is thrown into question. 
Well, and I think it's particularly in this episode, I mean, I think that a lot of that work is also done with the casting. Um, I mean, you know, we, you know, Raphael already mentioned, you know, the, the actor from Game of Thrones. And then also, I, I forget his name, but the actor who was playing the, the teenage lead, I thought it was just like, you completely bought this, like, that he's like in this intense, like, pain and like, you know, when he like pees himself, like, you really like feel for him. And so I think like, you know, you, I think for that reason, the, 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 definitely the sort of twist at the end is much more effective because of that. And I'll say I was just riveted throughout this episode. I mean, I could not wait to see what happened next. It was just really, really intense and just held my attention so much. Um, oh, and, and also, I mean, we were talking about how the earlier episode, Nosedive, seems like something that could happen, you know, in the near future. I mean, this this was, seems like something that could happen right now. I mean, sufficiently motivated hackers you know, could do something like this right now. And that's a pretty scary thing. No, that's absolutely true. Although I suppose I was wondering on just a purely logistical, technical level, how they could convey what he was looking at on his own screen. I guess they would ha- take screen well, grabs up. But, and, um, you know, like, because couldn't he just deny it, basically? I mean, I kept thinking to myself, if I was that kid, I would just lie. Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had the same thought. And then um, I read something where there's a part when... Um, Hector and, and Kenny are in the car and Hector says something about, you know, the affair. Cause same thing with Hector. Like he didn't actually go through with it with, you know, this supposed prostitute who actually was someone from the hacker thing impersonating her. But then he says like, Oh, but they also had my hard drive. And I had a lot of like explicit messages and photos uh, probably of, you know, dick pics or something. And that's when Kenny starts breaking down because he realizes like they have his hard drive. So any, any photos he has would, would be pulled. Mm. That was my understanding. Yeah, no, I read the same. I I think I read the same article as you, and I I hadn't actually gotten that during the you know episode. I had the same thought as you guys, but yeah, that you know that answers that question for sure. The um the episode also reminded me a little bit of this um, Bruce Sterling short story, which I can't. I'm probably going to mispronounce the title. I think it's Maniki Neko, um, which is like about again about this sort of like carefully orchestrated thing where everything comes together, except that it's instead this sort of like thing that like this like something living in the cloud that's like making life better for everyone. So it was like really fun <laughs> seeing sort of the inverse where you know again someone has this really careful planning, um, but it's actually just to do something really terrible. Okay, any final thoughts on Shut Up and Dance? Yeah, just that it was it was a good thriller. You know, it really did keep you, you know, on the edge of your seat. It was gripping, but you know, ultimately just a just a pretty good Black Mirror episode. So like three stars? I'd, I'd give it three and a half. <laughs> All right. Would not let it on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, so then next up we've got San Junipero which uh, has a bit of a mysterious vibe at first. There are two women who are meeting up and falling in love in what seems to be the 1980s in a nightclub. And, um, but they're, every night at midnight, they, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to, something weird is going to happen. They're going to disappear or something. And we slowly start to puzzle, puzzle together what's going on. Um, but so, Natalie, what did you think of San Junipero? It was my favorite, um, of this, which is so funny because as we said in the beginning, it, you know, tonally it's not your usual Black Mirror thing. And, um, it's funny. I sort of, I didn't try to find a lot of, out about it, um, ahead of time because I, I knew it was said in the 1980s and I'd read a few interviews with Charlie Brooker where he was very vague and just said, you know, this is our take on a period piece. And so I didn't even try to go into it unraveling, you know, what the, the hook was and just sort of enjoyed it and, 
it was also, um, like I said, I finished Shut Up and Dance, took a break, like watched some other TV and then jumped right into San Junipero. I, yeah, I just, I thought that, I mean, I always love everything that, um, I don't, I, I will probably butcher her name, that, uh, Gugu Mabatha Ra is in. And, uh, and Mackenzie Davis, I haven't seen, I think she's on Halden Catch Fire and I haven't seen that yet, but she was just so, adorable and sweet and naive and awkward. And, um, I thought she was kind of a great audience way into this, this world of San Junipero and, and the 1980s, which we later find out, um, you know, is probably an era she never actually lived through. And so it's all new to her, which I thought was a a great take on like a nostalgic story was that so many of us think like, ah, 1980s, like we're, in my case, I was born during them or other, others case, you know, living through them, coming of age, being an adult, and so I liked that for her, it was, it was as alien as if it were, you know, 2020 or 2040. And I just, I overall thought it was this, this bittersweet story. Um, I loved seeing like a queer love story on television uh, with a diverse cast with a, a black woman and a white woman, uh, a bisexual woman and a lesbian. And well, I can, I'll say more as we go through, but those were my initial thoughts. Okay, speaking of your initial thoughts, did you have any initial uh, assumptions about what was going on that turned out to be wrong? I think I only got as far as like time travel, and it, it, it wasn't even until the halfway point when, um, when uh, what's her name, Yorkie is looking for Kelly, and, and the guy says like, "We'll look for her in the '90s or look for her in the 2000s." Actually, I think before that, I did when they were talking about time running out and the fact that like San Junipero was this very sprawling area, but also felt very almost like claustrophobic. I definitely thought, I think I I thought like a simulation, but not a simulation the way it ended up being. I thought maybe it was like an experiment, like almost like a village kind of community where um, you can only spend so much time there, but there's not really a, an outside world that's important. So I, I definitely feel like something was up, but I, I didn't get very far. Like I said, it was sort of one of those where I just let it let it happen. What about you guys? You know, I thought this episode was basically perfect. I, I would have sat through five other terrible episodes just to get to this one. <laughs> um, I really thought it worked on every single level. And my friends and I, as we were watching it, we kept trying to guess what was really happening. And we were kind of thinking, you know, they reference at one point how many people down on the street are really actually there or not. And so we were thinking it was kind of Westworld meets the Matrix where, you know, very few actual tourists and the rest are just programs. So it was an interesting twist that everyone was actually in every sense alive. It's just many of them had died in the real world and it was just their their minds, just their consciousness. And so I thought the episode really had like some high-minded sci-fi ideas too. I mean, not only was it just a really great you know, moving, emotionally, you know, satisfying episode with good themes. But, you know, the whole, can we ever actually upload our consciousness into a computer one day or would it just be a copy? I mean, that's something I think about a lot, you know, and they didn't really get into that per se, but it got me thinking about it. So I like that aspect. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think um, that this is, you know, I think definitely the most moving episode of the season. I mean, I really enjoyed it. And similarly, you know, genuinely, I think at some point I said out loud, like, I have no idea where the hell this is going, and that makes me so happy. Um, and I really had, like, yeah, these, like, random guesses. I think at first, because um, Yorkie was, the Mackenzie Davis character was being so vague about what had ha- where she came from, I assumed that was going to be the sort of science fictional hook that she was, like, from the future or something. So I definitely did. And then I thought they just, it was just, like, really masterful the way they, like, parceled out information where 
they like reveal at a certain point, oh, you can like travel to different eras. Oh, like how many of the people, these people are dead? Oh, there's something really important that happens at midnight, but we're like not going to show you for the first couple of times and just make you completely crazy. So I just thought, I mean, the construction of it was just really good. Um, and I do, I mean, I think that, yeah, the, the issues that Raphael was talking about in terms of, you know, what, how much of yourself survives if without a physical body, I thought they sort of skirted, but, um, but even so, I mean, I thought it was, it was, you know, yeah, this is definitely, you know, one of my favorites of the season. That's interesting, Anthony, that the, uh, the mystery of it was a, a big draw for you. I mean, that was something that kind of drove me a little crazy is that like, I, I felt like I, for so much of the episode, I didn't have any idea what was going on. I felt like I, it was sort of distracting me from getting uh, engaged in the emotional story of these characters. I have a feeling if I were to go back and watch it, I would think it was great. But I think just like the first time through, I was just a little, little frustrated, like how, how long it took before I even understood that virtual, rea- that this was about virtual re- reality. I mean, I thought it was a, I was assuming from the beginning it was about time travel somehow, or maybe Yorkie was from the fifties and she had come forward in time to the eighties or something, um, which turned out to be true in a way. But, um, I don't know. I guess everyone else seems to have just not been bothered by that at all. No, but I get, I get what you're saying. Um, cause like in, in trying to think about the episode again today and writing the review, I realized that the actual like details of their love story had kind of jumbled together and I didn't really remember what emotional beats were there because my mind was thinking, was so preoccupied with the notions of like the afterlife and, and stuff like that. So I think it's the kind of, kind of episode, it probably of, of the six, although we'll, we'll see when we talk about the other ones. Um, I think it's the one that might, might bear the, most opportunity for rewatching and like picking out visual details, obviously in the, in the direction and in costuming and set design, but also I think in the story and, and thinking about the layers again of, of who's what. And if I could touch upon a point we were making a second ago about the, um, these, you know, how much of your consciousness gets uploaded. It reminded me a lot of, um, the cookies, the little, um, digital copies in, in white Christmas, the similar idea of, I think it was, now I think about it, actually, I think it was almost the same um, little module that went on their their temples that like sucks out a, a, a version of yourself that's that's a copy. And so th- that's something I've been thinking about lately is like, were these people, was it like, is it transplanting your brain in there or is it making a copy? You know, and that's a great point you brought up also, Natalie, about the rewatchability, because it kind of makes you think sometimes a movie or a TV show with a great twist, like a truly iconic twist, like the sixth sense or planet of the apes, it's actually more rewarding to watch a second time. And I think that would actually apply to this episode Um, because yeah, you see it through a totally different lens and the first time through, you're just trying to figure it out. But this time you can really appreciate it for all those little touches. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's also, I mean, part of what makes it work for me is the fact that there is this great reveal, but it doesn't come at the end. It comes, I actually, I, I don't remember exactly, like I would say halfway to two thirds of the way through. And so once, you know, it's about, you know, the, the character's decision about whether to transition over, um, I think then, you know, there isn't this mystery and it really is just devoting its full attention to this sort of, you know, emotional dilemma. So for that reason, I think it also worked for me. Well, but just to pick on what Natalie was saying too about the, you know, the, the question, I mean, this is a huge question in philosophy and philosophy of mind and stuff is, you know, could you transfer your mind into a computer and would that still be you? And this episode, from what I remember, completely elided that question. It just takes for granted the fact that it's still you inside the computer and, Maybe that was the right way to. Maybe that would have been too much of a distraction to to get into that. But I, I did think that, that did strike me that it didn't really ever 
uh, wrestle with that topic at all? Well, it's kind of like Star Trek not dealing with teleporters. I mean, you kind of just have to avoid it for the sake of storytelling or the transporters because, you know, like obviously that's basically killing you and then creating a copy. So it's not really you. But so for the sake of the story, it's probably best that they sidestepped it. Um, Or that would have had to been the focus for the whole story. Right. Yeah, for sure. I have a theory about this, though. I I think Charlie Brooker was having, like, an exceptionally good day when he wrote this episode or something, because (laughs) it could have taken such a terrible, dark turn at the end, and it didn't. Like, it it surprised me, genuinely, because it seemed like it was heading towards a very dark finish, when basically... You know, she was brokenhearted that the other woman didn't really want to be married, had kind of just done it out of pity, and now she was going to be alone in the in the simulation forever. Uh, and I thought maybe she was just going to elect for death at some point to just be released instead of, you know, having to go on in that state. But then he gave it the happy ending. So that was cool. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think that. I mean, I definitely thought in that, that period before Kelly decides to pass over, Yorkie was definitely heartbroken. But I, I sort of read it more as... Because we, we see her for at least a few seconds before we get the reveal that Kelly also came. And, like, her hair is different. She's driving a sports car. And, you know, we know that she had uh, become paralyzed in a car accident. Like, she's clearly, like, gained some closure and gained a sense of her own identity, um, which we saw her, like, playing with the different outfits earlier. And so I got the sense that, like, she was kind of settling down her roots and making a life for herself. But... If Kelly had never come back, she might have been in danger of becoming, you know, that kind of tragic gay character who has the one great love and then never has anyone else, kind of like um, like Albus Dumbledore or, or characters like mm. that. And so that was what I was worried about for her, that we were just going to get more of this, like, you know, you spent your whole life, like, feeling like you were punished for coming out. And then you got your you got got to have sex a few times, you fell in love, but, you know, now you're celibate for the rest of your life or the rest of eternity. So I I saw it as, like, if she'd had to make that decision, I think for herself she would have stayed because she had finally kind of tapped into who she was and was, like, comfortable in her own skin. But I think it would have been hollow, a hollow experience. And interestingly enough, apparently in the original draft, it was a heterosexual couple. Um, Yes. But I really think that was such a great idea to change it up because it really added so much resonance to the whole thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Did anyone feel like, I I felt like the story was missing a beat. And maybe if I went back and watched it, this wouldn't bother me. But I felt like they had this huge fight and then it went pretty much straight into the happy ending. And I felt like there was like some, something missing in the middle there. I definitely feel like there was a beat missing because Kelly gives that great speech about why she's ready to go. And, and, you know, even though she doesn't believe that there's a heaven, that's what, you know, her husband chose. And that's what her daughter had to, had to go to because there, there was no San Junipero back then. And yeah, I thought that was such an impassioned speech. And then we didn't get the equivalent of an impassioned speech, either of her changing her mind or of Yorkie convincing her. And it just felt like suddenly on came the, the soundtrack and the montage which I will say created like the best pun for me with, you know, heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> I was just cracking up at that. And I actually just rewatched someone put that clip on YouTube today and I was just watching the office like tearing up again. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I mean, that, that it, it feels a little bit rushed. Um, but I think what I liked about it was sort of the contrast where that, that it is this sort of this grand speech. And then when she actually decides it's in this very sort of quiet moment where she's just sort of sitting there and and you know not even in the in the virtual reality but just in in her own body and thinking about it and just sort of set you know says it like that moment to me i thought was very effective even if maybe 
the transition was a little bit awkward. But what do you think led to that moment? Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I agree that like the, the the foundation wasn't necessarily there, but that like the actress and the direction I think really sold it for me. That you just I could imagine her like that that or maybe even that the speech itself was sort of this catharsis, and then she's been thinking about it since then, and that was almost a part of her accepting the fact that really she did want to you know spend the rest of forever with this other person. Yeah, you all make great points about that. It, to David's point, I think maybe they could have had a line in there somewhere about how she thought about what her dead husband might have wanted for her, like true happiness or something. But uh, it was probably, in reality, just her sitting in a chair for hours upon hours contemplating it. And how do you really portray that? I guess they just figured it was good enough. <laughs> I mean, do you guys feel like the ending of this had more impact? Because it's, I believe, the first... Black Mirror ending that wasn't like horrific for the characters, <laughs> um, and uh, it, it it did to me like introduce a whole new, like you know, it brought in the palette of the show. I think so. I would be curious, you know, going forward, how many more show you know endings like this we might get that aren't, you know, the characters caught in a trap and can never get out. I would say that I think um, "Be Right Back" also has an ending that's not completely tragic. I mean, I think it is eerie and sort of unsettling, but that you, that's one that allows you to sort of think that in some ways, like you know, um, things are moving forward positively. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Yeah, but but yeah, no, I agree that it's very unusual. <laughs> Boy, that's bleak though. When "Be Right Back" is our like our <laughs> for a happy ending. <laughs> well, and it was the same director um, for "Be Right Back," Owen Harris, who did a uh, San Junipero and. Yeah, no, because if I remember, I haven't watched it in years, I think Be Right Back is sort of um, Haley Atwell's character, you know, accepts the existence of this clone, not for herself, but for, like, their daughter. And so, like, keeps him up in the attic, which is so creepy, but, like, has her daughter be able... It's it's She sort of transcends her own selfishness of wanting to get rid of him by saying, like, no, he'll be a part of my daughter's life, and she'll get... She won't be cheated out of, you know, a life with him. And even though I no longer want that or no longer can have it. And so, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of similar themes about like selfishness and, or selflessness and, and giving up one thing. And and like you were saying, Anthony, I think it was about um, thinking about like what Kelly's husband might've wanted for her is probably if they could have talked, if he could have for some, somehow been uploaded to San Junipero, he probably would have said as much to her of like, I want you with me, but I also want you to be happy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering, though, if they keep having happy endings, are they going to have to change the name of the show? (laughs) I don't think they're going to have too many happy endings. Yeah, one (laughs) out of six is, you know, not not that many. I mean, I guess it keeps you guessing, you know. I feel like it did elevate the episode somewhat. It would have been a classic either way, but it went from a 4.5 to a 5.0 just because you actually cried and, and laughed and were happy for them for once. (laughs) and i do think actually i mean in some ways i think it's more suspenseful when you're like oh this could actually go either way versus like if you're just sitting there be like well obviously this isn't going to work out this is going to go badly um so i think you know having some range of possibility i think is probably good for opening up you know just the storytelling opportunities you know and perhaps he was just afraid of repeating himself because had it just been her stuck in san junipero alone uh for eternity it could have mirrored the ending of the Christmas episode a little bit too closely, where the guy yeah. was in the simulated world with time going on forever and ever, you know, which to me was the bleakest one yet. I mean, that really seemed incredibly hellish. 
I will say one thing I didn't like about the ending really quick was just the, that very last shot of like the two little like chips or whatever being put in side by side, which I thought was a little too cutesy and and kind of not necessarily how I imagined all this sort of existing in the cloud. So I thought that was a little silly, but I forgive it despite that. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit hokey. And I, there was an interview I read with Charlie Brooker where he said that like he did write he, he listened to Heaven's a Place on Earth when he was looking up music in 87, writing it, and like latched onto the song and latched onto the pun and would have been heartbroken if they couldn't use it. So it could be that if, if it hadn't been so explicitly tied to a soundtrack, they might have stopped before that last visual. But I feel like because <laughs> they were going for the, you know, almost kind of saccharine ending, they probably were like, you know, I feel like the inverse would be if you have, I don't know, like a, a Grey's Anatomy or one of those shows where, where it's almost like disaster porn, where it's like, we're going to have a boat crash into the plane, crash into the hospital. And it's like, is that too far? No, fuck it. It's sweet. So I feel like <laughs> he probably had the opposite of like, we're already like partway there. We're already going for the feel good ending. Let's just, let's just go all the way is what I would think maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there's a lot to say about San Junipero, but we got two more episodes to get to. So I think we're going to need to, to move on to the next one, which is Men Against Fire, which is there's a soldier in the near future after some sort of disaster that has apparently mutated some number of people into killer zombie monsters. But then he discovers that he's actually has some sort of VR um, system is uh, misleading him into believing that innocent civilians who he's been tasked to kill are these zombie monsters to make it easier for him to kill them. So, uh, Raphael, what'd you think about Men Against Fire? Oh, man, you had to ask me, huh? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I actually, unfortunately, didn't care for this one too much. Uh, it was the only one that really bummed me out because I love the show so much in general that I thought this might have been the worst Black Mirror episode ever. Um, it just, it had some interesting ideas, but I didn't think it came together at all. Uh, I, I just thought, well, for one, it was just boring. Um, and it was just very obvious what was happening the whole time. So it seemed like there was a seed of good commentary in there, but it just could have been executed a lot better. So I was, I was kind of bummed out by it, actually. Did anyone like it more than Raphael? I liked it. I mean, I think maybe it's also because uh, this is one where I didn't guess what the twist was. And so, like, I had this sort of multiple layers of surprise, which was, A, when you realize that, um, I'm trying to remember that, what did they call it? Roaches, right? Roaches, um, yeah. Where I think at first you think, oh, is this like a Starship Troopers thing? You're like, oh, no, no, they're like humans, but they've been transformed. So that was already a surprise. And then when it was, when it was revealed that it was sort of, you know, this, this trick, um, I, I thought that was really, you know, that, that for me, that, because this is the twist worked, I think then the rest of the episode didn't have that. I guess it wasn't as boring for me. So I, 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 you know, I didn't think it was like a home run, but I thought it was like very solid all the way through. It was one of, you know, one of the sort of more on the nose metaphors, but I thought, you know, translated into this very, you know, affecting story, particularly when, you know, you actually get to see the scene play out again without, um, you know, the, the mask on. And I thought that was, you know, pretty, pretty devastating. See, Natalie, what did you think? is definitely one of my least favorite. I think because in the case of other episodes, if I start to catch on to the twist or whatever reversal they've engineered in, I still want to see where the story goes after it. And in this case, once, you know, it was revealed that, uh, that he had the, the VR thing over his eyes that, you know, put an enemy face on, on other humans, I kind of lost interest in where the rest of the story went. Although I will say it was one of those cases where 
the other, like the small other world, world building details, I would have wanted to follow those paths. Um, one of which was, I don't know what you guys thought of this, but the the rewards that the soldiers would get, like the the main character, he gets you know two kills on his first time out, and so they would say like, oh well, you're going to have really good dreams tonight, and and part of their programming is giving them these, um, you know, hyper-realistic or in his case, you know, hypersexual dream and, and the visual of all the soldiers lying in bed, like with their fingers twitching, I assume, like controlling the mechanics of their dreams and sort of comparing notes the next morning, like, well, how'd you sleep? How'd you sleep? And, and becoming this hierarchy of, you know, the teacher's pet or the, the star soldier is the one who gets the, the sweetest sleep. Cause it made me think of like, I would love to see a black mirror story about that in relation to uh, PTSD. And in, in, like, I was less interested in what face are they putting on the enemy? And I was more interested in like, what treats are they giving to their, their soldiers? Uh, almost like, almost treating them like, like animals. And then saying like, if I keep giving you these treats and this positive reinforcement, you'll keep going out and shooting roaches because it means that you get to have like a hot dream tonight. I had not thought about that at all, Natalie, but that's brilliant. I really, I really think, I think they should do that for an u- upcoming episode. Cause yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more with you guys on this in that, um, just this exact idea of soldiers having technology that makes them think they're fighting monsters when they're actually fighting people is an idea I've just seen many, many times before in science fiction. And I think maybe your enjoyment of this episode depends on whether you've come across that idea many times before or not. But, um, you know, for me, it's, it's just something I've been pretty familiar with for a really, really long time. So I was kind of disappointed to to see. I mean, obviously, a lot of the Black Mirror episodes, they're not like the freshest ideas. I mean, some of them are, but a lot of them, they're just executed really well. But this one, I thought it was it was kind of like a familiar an overly familiar idea executed. OK. Um, and that wasn't enough, really, for me to. You know, this was like like um, Raphael saying this was, I thought, the you know, the one I didn't like the most of uh, of this batch. Yeah, overly familiar is a good way to describe it. Yeah, but hey, if this is like the worst episode out of 18 or whatever that we'll, we'll get, then that's still not so bad. <laughs> I mean, True. No, I mean, it was a, it was, I was happy to watch it. I'd happily watch another episode that was about as good as this one. But, um, you know. Yeah, and there were and there were lots of little ideas in here that were interesting. And it did actually have Michael Kelly, who was a fantastic actor. So all his scenes where he was interrogating the soldier, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all that stuff worked. I mean... There was none of it that didn't work per se, but it just didn't feel like it truly came together for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you guys are saying. I mean, I think that, I mean, part of it is, again, because I feel like a lot of the stuff in Black Mirror tends to be familiar and comes down to sort of execution. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I, I wouldn't say the execution in this was sort of in the top tier, but it was like solid all the way through for me. Um, I will also say like one of the little touches that I did like was like, I think, um, you know, I think there is that familiar scene where you have somebody telling them, no, you signed up for this. Let me show you the video where you signed up for this before we erased your memory. But I think the thing I liked about that scene was how the the soldier character, it wasn't that he was like, you know, gung ho and like, yes, I'm going to sign up for this, but rather that he was just sort of very blasé about the whole thing in this way that felt very real, um, where he was just like, oh yeah, sure, whatever, you know, I'm signing up, but this, this is all cool. And like, like it almost was like he signed on the dotted line without, you know, we, acknowledging it but kind of not caring and i thought like there are a couple other touches like that where that that i sort of believed it i guess emotionally and so that was why it worked for me and that was interesting actually in that his entire personality seemed to have been changed you know it it was made you wonder how much they had actually erased you know how far back they had reformatted him so to speak 
Definitely. Yeah, it kind of brings to mind um, Joss Whedon's show Dollhouse from forever ago, where you have these people who uh, volunteer to become these blank slates that then have they, they have to have their personalities wiped in order to have, you know, uh, host personalities put into them. But it's the same thing. Like these people, you know, they came to the dollhouse with um, uh, debt or um, being, you know, crimes or being chased by the government. And maybe not it wasn't that lofty or that dire for for this guy when he signed up but i definitely saw echoes of that the sense of yeah that he just signed on the dotted line without thinking about the consequences which actually also made me think of um cooper in playtest how you could argue that you know he signed the stuff about the procedure and, and the woman even warns him and says you know it's a small medical procedure and he's just signing away probably like a liability waiver that said you know if your phone goes off in the middle of of implantation it's not our fault and so i, I found a parallel between the two of them of <laughs> these people who just took on this tech and we don't know why they weren't being more fastidious about it but they just did well let me say rafael i i, th- I really like the, the i it hadn't that hadn't occurred to me but like maybe if I went back and watched it, but I, I mean the idea that he's looking at how he was before they made him a soldier and thinking, man, I used to be this callow dumbass. Uh, what, what is the value of, of what I was before this? Like, you know, I don't like who I was before, before this any more than I like myself now. So what difference does it make? And I feel like more could have been made out of that rather than sort of, they basically put a gun to his head in terms of like playing the horrible memories over and over until he, relents right and if he was a bit more of an active character making that decision i think that might have had a little bit more impact for me right and and speaking of impact with the final scene i think they could have maximized it a little more instead of having him show up at a house where he's seeing a nice house and a dream girl and in reality it's dilapidated um I, i actually misunderstood what was happening there initially i thought the choice being offered to him was be incarcerated relive the footage over and over or just be re programmed and go back into the field and kill more roaches and i actually thought it would have been more satisfying and darker for him to make that choice like rather than be tormented indefinitely just to go back out there and forget and once again be killing roaches which so do we he's not going back into the field no he's i mean i guess i'm still confused which is part of the problem with the episode <laughs> yeah but i'm I mean, confused too but i even went to like wikipedia to read the the synopsis just to make sure i understood and it says he's been discharged and so I don't really understand how that works. Like he, he, the whole facade with the house and the dream girl, as opposed to an empty house. I mean, I, I don't really know how that's supposed to play out except for just a, a shock ending. So I don't get it. Yeah. I interpreted it more as like he was like on leave and then he'd be going back into the field. But I, I don't have any necessarily textual evidence to back that up, except I don't remember the Michael Kelly character saying you're going to be discharged. Me either. So I thought he was going back into the field, but I, I was left confused, I guess. Uh, Natalie, were you going to say something? Oh, uh, just I'm about as confused as you guys because I don't remember <laughs> honorable discharge being an option. But then he was there in his uniform, so I thought that might be the case. And then I thought, because then I thought maybe he was in like a permanent mental loop with the girl in the the sex fantasy as like uh, as part of the honorable discharge. But then I thought like that seems way too nice of them after everything he's done. Because I agree, I, I assumed they were just going to wipe him, and put him back in the field. So. Right. Well, and perhaps, and I, and I guess if we really analyze it, Anthony's probably right. I mean, he was wearing his dress uniform, not his fatigues. So he's still in the service, but he's not on active duty. So I don't know what the hell's happening. Right. And, and why spend the time on this guy if you're just going to discharge him? 
mm-hmm. you know, and like make him go through this terrible choice. Well, when he was a newbie, I mean, they make the point of saying like, well, actually, they make the point mm-hmm. of saying first time out, you know, you kill two roaches. But then I wondered if they wipe these soldiers often enough, maybe everyone is always on their first time out. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, to play armchair screenwriter, had I had a you know a, a crack at this, I would have um, had the woman and her son survive that scene in the middle, and then have them show up at the end where once again he's reprogrammed out in the field and he does kill them, even though earlier he had let them go, and mm-hmm. that would have been appropriate. Oh yeah, dark. Charlie Brooker should have given you a call. <laughs> <laughs> if only, Charlie, are you listening? <laughs> All right, cool. And so then the last episode in this batch was called Hated in the Nation. Uh, so there are people who are the subject of internet hate mobs on Twitter uh, are turning up dead, and uh, some detectives are investigating that. So, Natalie, what do you think about Hated in the Nation? Um, I liked it a lot. Um, I thought it was a good kind of near-future speculative uh, story. Well, definitely having tech um that was far enough ahead that it felt very ominous and and felt like yeah like it it could happen but it has not happened yet um i loved kelly mcdonald i loved her her cranky inspector and and how she was kind of very subtly tech phobic or, or in the sense that she would you know look down on her assistant blue for like she it seemed like she thought that you know Twitter was trivial. And I kind of loved as someone, you know, who has been working in digital media for the last eight years. And I mean, I remember like I wrote a play about Twitter when it was a thing that nobody knew what it was. It was very gratifying to see someone who dismissed it. And then I was very handily reminded like, oh, no, it's much more powerful than you think. So I really liked it. Hmm. But Anthony, what'd you think of this one? Yeah, no, I, I loved it. This was probably my, my favorite episode of the season, which, I mean, I don't think it's actually the best episode. I think it's it's actually falls short of that by a pretty wide margin. But, like, this is the one that I just, like, enjoyed the most purely. And I think it was, like, Black Mirror in a lot of ways sort of embracing, like, the sort of, like, pulpy B-movie side of itself. And, like, when, like, I found out that it was going to involve killer bees, I was so happy. And, like, <laughs> I mean, and, and it's not, like, it's, like, campy or anything. Like, I mean, I think it totally treats... A lot of these ideas very seriously, um, but it also while well, also making moments for like comedy, but it also doesn't back away from the fact that it's about killer bees and you ha- like see like CGI swarms of killer bees and like that. I just thought like you know like treating this seriously, but also like willing to go a little crazy with it. Um, I I think just you know made me really like it. Yeah, this was my favorite episode of this batch, and I agree with everything you just said. But I think one of the reasons I liked it so much is because it deals in such a significant way i would think with the the phenomenon of internet hate mobs and just people being angry on the internet and not thinking about how the targets of their ire are real people with feelings and things like that and yeah, so so like you're saying it it, it just merged the the sort of detective story killer bee swarm kind of aspect of black mirror with the serious social critique aspect in a really really effective way i thought um well I hope Charlie Brooker isn't listening this time because uh, my friends and I thought it was probably the second to to worst of the season or the fifth best, however you want to look at it. I, I thought it was interesting. It had a lot of good parts. It, the fact it was kind of like a sci-fi techno thriller for about two thirds of it. And then the black mirror social commentary aspects that we come to expect kind of factored in once the public was able to take control of the death to hashtag. And, and you saw how that was going amiss. But um, 
ultimately, I, I don't know. It, I, for one, I don't think it needed to be 90 minutes. I think it could have easily been shortened to regular length and would have been just fine. And it, I don't know. I, there was nothing wrong with it. I, I liked it fine, but I just thought uh, the first four were superlative. And, you know, so I don't know. It, being the final episode, it just didn't end on a bang for me. I don't know, Natalie, you want to respond to that in any way? Um, well, I think I agree it could be shortened. Like, I I didn't quite understand why it was 90 minutes. It was sort of like, felt like it was trying to be a movie, but lacked some of the depth to, to totally do that, to be a, sta- a total standalone. Um, so looking at things to shorten, I feel like the whole frame story of how there was this hearing about what happened, I feel like they were trying, that that fell flat a little bit in the intent of, you know, generating a sense of dread and why is she telling the story and where, you know, where's her assistant, where are the other players that they've talked about? And because, you know, it's a little unclear, like how soon after the tragedy it's been, although we do then see, well, no. And then we see her and um, the assistant, you know, walking through the hall of bodies, which is a very striking visual. But I feel like both of those things, the hearing and the hall of bodies were too little. And if they were really going to lean into being 90 minutes, I would have wanted to see a lot more of that to get a sense of, you know, losing 387,000 people, how much of an impact it was. Well, and also if you're going to make it 90 minutes, I wish they'd made it 91 and given us a a definitive ending (laughs) because none (laughs) none of us could figure out what really happened at the end. I mean, I don't know if it's meant to be intentionally ambiguous, but it's like the whole episode, it seemed really obvious that blue was working with uh, the terrorist, the bad guy. And then it turned out, well, she wasn't apparently, but so I guess the twist was that she was actually a cop all along, but the whole way that she walked up and just introduced herself and was never really questioned about her credentials. It, it seemed telegraphed to us. I don't know. I guess it was a hive mind mentality, but my friends and I, as we were watching it, we're like, this blue has a secret. Like there's going to be some reveal later who she really is. You know, the, the, the understudy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That never, that never occurred to me at all. So, so, so then basically at the very end, she says she's found him and she's tailing him. And well, if she really was, you know, a well-intentioned cop all along, I feel like we should have gotten some resolution there. But if she also was working with him all along, then we should have, either way, I wanted to know more. It just felt annoyingly ambiguous. All right, well, I'll tell you how I read the ending was that I, it never occurred to me that she was some sort of double agent or anything. It seems pretty clear at the end to me that she's going to kill him once they go around the corner there. Yeah, and he's also going to suffer oh, the yeah. consequences of, you know, the you know, his activities on the internet in the same way that he uh, inflicted on all these people. Yeah, I, I think part of I definitely agree that I thought Blue was somehow in on it. Like she did seem her presence seemed a bit convenient in parts, but I think that my. My my read of it was that that was intended to sort of show how at odds she and Karen were, that um, that to Karen it literally was that, you know, this girl pops up out of nowhere and is my my shadow and we don't speak the same language. And and, and I think that Karen also had some, what's the word, uh, judgment about the fact that that Blue had moved out of, I think it was forensics, how, and Blue had explained that, you know, she did all the cybercrime and she saw these awful photos. And I think it, it kind of gave her maybe not PTSD full blown, but something similar. And so she moved into this other realm. And like I said, I think Karen kind of looked down on her for it. So the way I was reading her arc was that by the end, whether she already had this training or whether this is 
this ambitious thing she did. She basically faked her death, you know, cut her hair, went off and, and tracked him down herself. And so I read it as she finally like achieved something in Karen's eyes where Karen was like, you know, add a girl, go get him, go, go fall around the corner and, and kill him and show him the consequences. I mean, I suppose there's a redemptive arc there, because otherwise it's kind of like, I, assuming that she was a double agent the whole time made sense to me and my friends, because it's like sh- every step of the way she's doing, she's leading them towards the eventuality that he wanted. She was helping facilitate everything that happened. Mm-hmm. And so she was either in on it or just kind of incredibly incompetent. But I mean, we were actually laughing at times at how incompetent the police really were. Like, it was comical at one point. It's like when the prime minister's like, uh, I'm number one on the death to list. Where do I go? We were like, well, plan A, a house in the country didn't work. So how about we actually use a bunker this time? I mean, why didn't why did they take that poor girl? They did that girl no favors. Like, yeah, let's take you out to the middle of the countryside in a house with lots of ventilation and windows. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, especially like that sequence, while it was incredibly suspenseful, like with with the um the, the third girl who was going to be killed, like was very suspenseful. But it was also kind of like, this is your plan. This is not a great plan at all. Um, and you would just see like arbitrarily open windows and doors. And you're like, why? <laughs> um, but I did think, I mean, I, I agree with Raphael's point that I felt like Blue as a character felt a little underdeveloped and, and, and I think some of the, the turns. But, um, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I guess I had less of a problem with the, her like sort of incompetence because I felt like the way it was supposed to be structured was this idea that everything that they're doing is what a detective would do to advance the case. And that's the thing that sort of like springs the trap. So in that sense, it didn't bother me. Let me just say about the safe house, because I mean, that it it didn't occur to me that they should have a better plan, because I'm thinking of when Salman Rushdie was targeted by religious extremists. Uh, he, he tells this story where, you know, the, the government sent some guys to protect him. And he said, so you're going to take me to a safe house or something? And they're like, no, that's just in movies. You got to like find your own place to stay. You know, ah. we're, your, we're your bodyguards. But, you know, there's no such thing as safe houses. That's just in movies. Sure. And, but but in this case, I mean, I thought it was irresponsible from the get go. And they show up at her apartment without like some kind of hazmat suit to protect her. And they could have at least just taken her to a bank vault or some room without ventilation. So the bees couldn't get to her, you know. That's a, really yeah, that's good a point. fair point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where um, I think a lot of times it's very easy to sort of justify characters behaving sort of like dumbly because that's how we behave often in real life. But I think particularly for this kind of mystery thriller, like you want to be following a character who like knows what they're doing and is like really making an attempt to like, you know, outwit the bad guy. And so like to have them feel sort of Keystone Cops-ish in that moment was pretty frustrating. The thing I really liked about this episode, though, was all the twists. I felt like the twists, maybe I'm just like an idiot, but I didn't see most of them coming. But I thought like even like with the cake, I thought was such a great um, red herring. You know, I was like, wait, what's the cake? And and it turned out, you know, that wasn't the thing. But there were things like that throughout, you know, and, and with the guy, the police guy <laughs> uh, tweeting about, you know, tweeting at the terrorist. Um, oh, that there- was such a great moment. I was just, I, That was the, you know watching it through your fingers horror movie moment of like no you idiot mm-hmm. but i just thought that was such a dumb moment for him because like you know when you're about to like close in on this guy you should not be tweeting at him that's like the worst thing to do so i didn't i was i liked that that he was you know the, the, one of the police officers ended up as one of the victims but i thought they could have done a better job of justifying how he ended up on that list um but i also agree yeah like i think that we were talking earlier about the sort of 90 minute length which i think I agree that like it 
I think sometimes the fact that it's that much longer gives it this sort of additional weight. And I'm not sure it has that sort of weightiness that maybe we expected, but I think it gives the plot more room to sort of run through some of these like loose ends and like, you know, fake you out a couple times. And, and I think combine some of these different science fictional elements. So I think for that reason, I think like it, I, I didn't mind the, the 90 minute runtime. I also just think the idea of the bees to replace, you know, to the robot bees to replace the bees because of colony collapse disorder, just on its own, I think is a cool idea. Oh, definitely. Yeah. As an overall comment for this batch of episodes, I liked how this episode was kind of a techno sci-fi thriller. I liked that we had a horror episode. Uh, I liked that there was kind of a military sci-fi action episode. But I always kind of gauge how much I like these based on the Black Mirror social commentary sci-fi quotient, I guess. And I thought this one kind of tread on territory we'd already covered a little bit in the very first episode, um, the National Anthem. I mean, basically, people using YouTube and Twitter are terrible. It's like, we get it, I guess. So I felt like if that was all this one had to say, then it wasn't really doing anything that new. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe part of like, because I've noticed this episode tends to get um, some of the most negative reviews. And I do think like, if you're really attached to the idea of Black Mirror as social commentary, I, I don't think it's necessarily this. I mean, I think there's stuff there is there is material there. I, mean, I don't want to sell it short. But I don't know that that's the the, the the biggest selling point. But I feel like the it to me, I like the idea that Black Mirror can be a bigger tent maybe than it has been in the past in the same way that I didn't necessarily mind that, you know, playtest would just be sort of this kind of, you know, fun horror romp. Um, so in that sense, it, it, it didn't bother me. And maybe that's why I was able to sort of embrace it a little bit more. I don't know. I just like the idea of all the people who uh, post obnoxious comments on websites just to pick a random example like Wired.com. <laughs> uh, all being killed. I thought that was an interest. That, I, there was something str strangely intriguing to me about that premise. <laughs> Not that you had any particular commenters in mind or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wish they would have gone further with it. It would have been kind of interesting to see it play out over a span of weeks where someone kept dying every day. You know, I don't know. Where a hated person kept dying and it would take longer to get to the true reveal, do you mean? About like actually killing the the people making Oh, no, I just, mean, I just mean that it, it could have gained even more momentum, you know, just to see, because like, if it really played out in reality, it makes you wonder who would actually be at risk, you know, the, who are the most hated people in the world. And because like, when I was thinking about the dilemma with the prime minister or uh, whoever he was, yeah, um, and they were with it. And he was concerned that he was number one and he wanted to get bumped down to number two by making someone else more hated. See, that I was good, that. too. I don't know. But, but yeah, it's I like, love well, the rankings. But it's like, that's not really going to save you in the end unless you're going to do that every day. You know, like he was still going to be way up there at risk the next day and the next day. So I kind of was curious about that aspect. That's really interesting, actually, Raphael. Like, yeah, if they hadn't had the, the techno thriller plot, but it was instead just every day people on Twitter can vote to kill someone and there's nothing you can do to stop it. What happens as a result of that week after week after week? You know, how Absolutely. does that play out? And I actually think, and I actually think, like, since that to me is really the heart of the Black Mirror esque part of it, like we could have just had that without the bees at all, and it would would have been really interesting. Or maybe, maybe every every day the prime minister has to release, you know, okay, so the government's been spying on everyone, and so he has dirt on all these different people, and every day he has to release dirt on somebody to get to make them the most hated person on Twitter, <laughs> so that he doesn't die each day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about it. Like, all of a sudden, you've got 15, 20 people dead. It's someone every single day. That would get really terrifying. Yeah, I agree. I was I was going to say that I agree that that, I think, is maybe the more ethically complex version of that story. Um, 
yeah, my only response is that I really enjoyed the version of the story that we got, so um, it doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed all of these. I mean, we're basically just grading, like I said. on the, They're all really good. I mean, if they had the other six episodes online, I'd be watching them right now. <laughs> well, yeah, say a little bit more about that, because there's going to be a season four coming up at some point. Do we know when those are airing yet? I don't. No, yeah, I don't think let, so. Let, let, let's find out real quick. I'll, I'll Google it. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's been announced yet when they're airing. But yeah, I mean, there were six episodes. Apparently, they I think, have they made all 12 already? Or I'm not sure. I, I, I thought that I they... I think you so, because they're still announcing some of the writers and, or some of the directors, I think, for for, the, for season four. So I don't think they've, they've actually made them yet. Okay. But I think gotcha. they were... I seem to have read somewhere that they were originally planning to just do a season three, and then they just ended up with enough episodes to do two more seasons. So that's the current plan. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I'm still in shock we even got a season three. I thought it was done after, you know, the six episodes we already had or the the seven with the Christmas episode. So as long as they keep making it, I think it's great. I mean, they probably shouldn't do it forever because I think on some level – you don't want to be like the Twilight Zone and remake the same episode five or six times, I think. <laughs> but if he does four or five seasons, then I think that'll probably be great. Yeah, well, we've come up with like two or three good ideas for an episode just on this podcast. So, maybe uh... true. yeah, and I think we're all four of us are free to write for the next season. So, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. totally. <laughs> Um, all right, cool. So yeah, so we're pretty much out of time. So um, I don't know. Anyone else have anything else they wanted to throw in before we wrap this up? I would say that I, as much as I enjoyed this season, I, I would say that I thought season two was a little bit stronger. Um, like, I mean, particularly because I think Be Right Back is probably my all-time favorite episode. But I just thought, like, the quality of the writing in, in season two especially, like, was just really strong across the board. Um, whereas season three, it felt a little bit more uneven. And I don't know how much of that was, like, producing more episodes, writing more episodes. But um, I, I didn't necessarily love it quite as much as, as at least Raphael did. Well, I'm curious if you guys are, um, what would you say are your top three episodes of all of them at this point? Did this crack your top three, any of the new, new episodes? Uh, so yeah, just to remind people, the episodes prior to this were The National Anthem, 15 Million Merits, The Entire History of You, Be Right Back, White Bear, The Waldo Moment, and White Christmas. I mean, for me personally, Entire History of You is still the most brilliant. I mean, that's the one that Robert Downey Jr. optioned to make a feature out of. I hope he still does. I think that one is, is just amazing. Um, I might, at this moment, it might be reactionary, but I'd put San Junipero at number two. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think Nosedive was really, really good. So that could potentially be up there or also be right back. But yeah, I guess somewhere in that three to four for me. I mean, I think my three favorites from the earlier episodes were National Anthem, 15 Million Merits, and White Christmas. And I don't know if any of these I thought were stronger than those. Like I said, Hated of the Nation and um, Nosedive were my favorites from this season. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I might have, I might agree with Anthony that I preferred the earlier episodes. That I felt like there were no, like, home, there weren't quite as many home runs, I thought, as, as maybe in past seasons. Well, we did get more episodes. So I guess, you know, you're going to get more great ones and a few. Not so great, so I don't know. Yeah, I, White Christmas isn't necessarily in my top tier, but I do think it has the most horrible depictions of suffering. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, like the woman's consciousness who's downloaded into the, basically she runs the house and that's her whole existence. It reminds me of like that uh, thing on Rick and Morty where it's like, what is my function? It's like <laughs> you. <laughs> oh, the butter robot, right? The butter robot. Yeah. <laughs> See, Natalie, do you want to say what, how, how you thought season three stacked up? Yeah, sure. Um, I I agree. Not a lot of home runs. Um, you know, I, I think I, I read interviews with Charlie Brooker where he said that because they were dropping all the episodes at once, as opposed to I think the other seasons came out like week by week, um, they, they kind of varied up the tone. And I think that might have weakened it a little bit. Um, yeah, I think my favorites are still like Entire History of You, White Christmas, um, I think also White Bear. But if I could, you know, throw another one in, also a reactionary, but I think genuine response as San Junipero is pretty high up there. Oh, David, uh, real quick, you had kind of asked me earlier for the temperature on uh, on the binge party I threw over the weekend. But I would definitely say for what it's worth, um, everyone really seemed to enjoy the first four episodes a lot. And maybe it was just fatigue. But the fifth and sixth ones less so. So I don't know. <laughs> but I, I do think overall the season was pretty strong, actually. I mean, I, to me, it had four either classics or almost classics. All right, cool. So I think I'm going to give Anthony the last word here. So Anthony, final word. Um, you know, I, I think I've, I'm really glad I, that the show is continuing. I like the fact that um, as much as maybe some of us might prefer sort of the darker, harder hitting version of Black Mirror, uh, I think the fact that if it's going to keep going, it, I think it has to continue to sort of branch out and, and explore different formats and tones. So, I mean, as much as I had reservations about some of the episodes, I think that is a, a really good thing. All right, cool. And so I think we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Raphael Jordan, Anthony Ha, and Natalie Zuter. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Raphael Jordan, Anthony Ha, and Natalie Zuder for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution, you can do that via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Patricia Levinson and Jason Enberg, who both just made very generous contributions to the show via PayPal. Jason also just signed up this week to be the latest listener supporting us on Patreon. So big thanks again to Patricia Levinson and Jason Enberg, and to everyone else who's made contributions to the podcast. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.